Yeah, well, wasn't that amazing? Wow, let's give moms a hand clap this morning. Moms, you guys are awesome. I want to give a quick, I want to give a quick shout out to my mom who's here for the first time at Rooftop, which is really cool. Um, yeah, and, and, and I just want to give, give mom some, some encouragement. So I was, uh, 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 a, a, maybe I would say possibly troublesome sometimes, I'm trying to find the right words. Um, I could be a pain in the butt. Perhaps, yeah. And I uh, wasn't following Jesus, wasn't pursuing a relationship with Jesus, had no interest in pursuing a relationship with Jesus. Um, but I would see my mom um, just in her room, on her knees, uh, praying and fasting for me. Um, and it's just, you know, just praying that God would get a hold of me um, and God would reach me and God would, would touch my heart and God would just reveal to me how awesome he is and that God would save me. And he did. Amazing, right? Um, so that's just a testament to, to a mom's prayers. So if you're a mom and your, your son or your daughter has walked away from, from Christianity or maybe doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to encourage you to keep praying, all right? Keep praying for your son. Keep praying for your daughter because you have no idea what God is going to do. My mom just prayed that God would save me um, and now I'm a pastor. So God does exceedingly abundantly more than we even can ask or imagine. So let's, let's jump into the message this morning. So when I was, I was 19, um, I moved to Louisville to pursue my ministry career, moved to, to, to Louisville, and, and I didn't have a lot of money. I was a poor uh, Bible college student, um, and I was volunteering at a church, Again, didn't have a lot of money, so I had an apartment, um, wasn't great, you can use your imagination, uh, wasn't a great apartment, it was really hot in the summers, really cold in the winters, um, but it was cheap, and I was like three months behind on rent, always. Um, some of you guys know the, the feeling there. And I lived above a rehabilitation center that the church owned. So I had a small apartment up there and I would lead classes and Bible studies with the clients. And so this, this particular rehab was in, if you know anything about Louisville, was in the west, west end of Louisville. Um, the west end of Louisville is, is the worst, most dangerous part of Louisville. So obviously I fit right in. And, and so I'm living there. And one of the things they told me was at night, don't go outside, all right? Don't go outside. When you get home, because I got off work at 11 p.m., when you get home, you go right inside. Don't go anywhere. Don't look at anybody. Don't look anyone in the eyes. You just go into your apartment. Because the month before I got there, seven people were shot and killed on the next block over. And so one night, though, I, I, I get home from work, and I'm hungry, and my stomach's growling, and my stomach says, hey, it'll be all right to break the one rule and just go across the street to the convenience center or convenience store um, and get like a bag of chips and a drink. And I'm like, no, stomach, they told me not to do this because it's dangerous. But then my stomach's like, no, seriously, I'm hungry go over to the convenience store. So I go over to the convenience store and it's like a a real sketchy convenience store. There's like no windows. It's just plywood. And there's a guy that sits there. He's not even a cop. He's just a really big guy with a gun that the owner hired to protect him because people were constantly robbing this place. All right. So that gives you hopefully a good picture of this. So I go across the street and I'm about halfway across the street and I notice uh, a group of guys that also notice me. And then I break the next rule. I make eye contact. As I'm strolling across the street to get some chips, I'm like, hey, how do you do, fellas? And, uh, and next thing I know, I'm surrounded, yeah, 
I'm surrounded. And long story short, uh, I got robbed. Um, got my shoes stolen um, and my wallet stolen and pretty much anything I had on me was taken. Never got my money back. Uh, didn't get to eat that night. I got sleep for dinner. Wasn't great. Justice was not served. And I had this overwhelming just sense of how lost and how broken our world was and how unfair it was. And I was, I was pretty shaken up. I had this no, no peace for a really long time. No peace. I'm constantly looking over my shoulder everywhere I go. No peace. And I had no sense of security. I was always kind of freaked out, always scared. I was really, really shaken up after this. But again, I had this overwhelming sense of how broken the world was. And I'm sure you know exactly that feeling. Perhaps you haven't been robbed, but I know you know that the world we're living in is fallen and it is broken. Maybe you've been divorced And it's been excruciatingly painful as you're in legal battles and legal scuffles with your former spouse. Perhaps you can't conceive a child. Uh, uh, Perhaps you were assaulted. And the healing path to recovery for you has been daunting. This home of ours here on earth is broken and it's flawed. It hurts us, it, it taints us, and it stains us. The philosopher Thomas Hobbes said this about life. The life of man, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Most of you, or perhaps some of you, would would agree with that. Our life here on earth, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, seems to be nasty and brutish, and unfortunately for some, it is cut short. We all have the feeling that things shouldn't be this way, right? Right? This is not the way that things are supposed to be. And have you ever wondered, as you look around at all the brokenness and all the tragedy and all the sin, and have you ever wondered, is this all that there is? Is this life all that there is? And I'm sure the people of Judah would have wondered that very thing. They're surrounded by war and devastation. They're constantly being destroyed. Um, Most of their existence is spent with no peace and no security. They've been conquered by one nation only to be let go and then they get conquered again and then get conquered again. Life for them, and I would venture to say for some of us, is nasty, brutish, and short. So we are currently in week 36 of our sermon series called Isaiah for Today, where we are spending 10 months going through the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was an 8th century Hebrew prophet, so he lived about 800 years before Jesus. And he spoke on behalf of the leaders of Jerusalem and to Judah, and he warned them that if they persisted in their wicked ways, that God was going to use the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon to judge them for their evil deeds. Well, they don't listen. They're eventually uh, exiled. They're destroyed. They're facing all kinds of devastation, and God makes certain promises to his people. But it can be hard to believe someone when they make promises, right? Especially when they seem too good to be true, and people break their promises all the time, and I think sometimes that's why it's actually hard for us to believe the promises of God. So in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, God makes certain promises to his people. He promises to provide them with peace and power, and he promises to forgive them. And today we'll be wrapping up this mini-series with another promise that God has given his people. He promises to create for them a new heaven 
and a new earth. So let's look at our text for today. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 65, starting at verse 17. Starting at verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have the words up on the screen for you to follow along. Isaiah 65, starting at verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping. I'm going to say that again. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and then another inhabit. They shall not plant and then another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. And their descendants with them. Before they call, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. There is a lot here. And unfortunately, I won't be able to cover everything, all right? So maybe I read something and a question popped into your head or you didn't have some clarity. I may or may, more, may, or may not Get to that, but feel free to come up to me afterwards, ask a question, or Pastor Matt, he's much smarter than I am, hopefully we'll have an answer for you. But because we can't sit in here for three hours, I had to break it down, originally this message was three hours long, broke it down to just an hour, so some of you are like, I hope he's kidding, please be kidding. So with that being said, so my wife and I are are house hunting right now. Um, And we're currently in an apartment that's too small, and we're looking to find a place to live or to put down some roots, as they say. And we've had the hardest time finding a house. One, because the market's crazy, and also because of these people. (laughs) Because of them. Chip and Joanna Gaines, they have created unrealistic expectations. All right, let me tell you something. I don't like these people. My wife loves them. And so my wife sees them on TV and they get this little fixer upper and then they just do a little of this and a little of that. And the next thing you know, they've got this beautiful home. And that sounds great. So my, my wife wants to get a fixer upper and then fix it up. But the problem is, I'm not that guy. And I don't know how to do anything at all. So that's been another challenge for us. And if you watch any HGTV, people are always looking for their, ever, for their forever home, right? They get a fixer up or they get a house, they fix it up, and it's their forever home. It's the place to go to grow old. Go ahead and get them off the screen. They're distracting. I'm tired of looking at them. The perfect place to grow old, to raise a family, to have memories, to build friendships. But as I was preparing for this message, I realized 
that none of us are actually in our forever home. None of us. So the 65th chapter of Isaiah offers a vision of this forever home. A world not simply turned around, but a world that's turned right side up. A world where everything now has been made right. A world the way that it's supposed to be. In Isaiah 65, we see a future that's not on fire like the present that we see right now, but a future that is at peace. And in this new world, it says God will not simply defeat enemies and remove them as a threat. He is going to restore relationships. He's going to transform these relationships. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Death will, have no, will, will be no more, and there will be no more sin. So obviously, that's not the world that we live in right now, so we know this passage is eschatological. That's your, your seminary word for the day. And it just means it's relating to the end times, right? Relating to the end times and the final destiny, the final destination of all of our souls and all of mankind. And we call this forever home, heaven. But it's a bit more complex than that. So what do you think of when you hear the word heaven? Uh, perhaps you think of chubby babies plucking harps up in the clouds, right? Here's an excerpt from a children's book. Heaven is somewhere you believe in. It's a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds and at night you can sit next to the stars. And if you're good, then you get to go to heaven. When your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down to take you up and to take you back to heaven with him. I was taught that, that heaven was a big worship service that lasted forever. For all of eternity, I hear pastors, for all of eternity, we're just gonna worship God <laughs> in song. So if you think, Five songs is a lot. As the old church song goes, 10,000 years and we've only just begun. Right? This is kind of scary. As a kid, I was scared of heaven. I'm not going to lie. I was taught that you wouldn't know anyone up there and you wouldn't remember your past life on earth at all. And that was horrifying that I would just be this like chubby baby on a harp or with a harp, with divine amnesia, singing awesome God for eternity. You know, our God is an awesome God, he reigns from, you know the one? Just, that was, in my head, I'm like, that's just going to be on repeat forever and ever. We have this idea of this never-ending Christian sing-along in the clouds forever, right? And the idea of this scared me, so I actually didn't look forward to heaven at all. I dreaded it. Perhaps that's some of you. Theologian J.C. Ryle said this, I pity the man who never thinks of heaven. But actually, we ought to pity the person who never thinks of heaven accurately. It's our inaccurate thinking of heaven that causes us to think and talk about it so little. Heaven is rarely a topic that's covered in sermons. Sure, we, we, we would teach you, hopefully you know it's better than the other destination, the other option, not great. Um, and we're told how to get there, right? But not much else. So what is this new heavens and new earth that Isaiah is describing? What is he talking about here? So when we think of heaven, we think of this ethereal destination beyond time and space where we are going to spend eternity. 
But it's not exactly what Isaiah or the biblical authors were trying to convey. So let's go back to the very beginning, the very beginning of the Bible. I've got it memorized. Don't be intimidated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. When God created the heavens and the earth, the author of Genesis wasn't saying God created our planet and then this other place that we call heaven. So here he was saying the heavens for them was the sky. It was the stars. So we now know with that in mind, this new heaven and new earth is the restoration of all things and a recreation of what was supposed to be the way things are. A renewed earth. Like Chip and Joanna Gaines flip a house, right? God is going to flip and restore his creation. A resurrected earth. God is going to make his creation, this earth, brand new. He isn't scrapping the earth and bringing us to a place away from all the sinners and the brokenness. Heaven is not an escape plan, but it's God's plan to make a new earth to recreate Eden, to redeem and restore his broken creation. So if you look around and are dissatisfied with life and dissatisfied with the way things are here, I can tell you this morning, God is more displeased than even us at how broken and hurting our world is. And so God is promising that he isn't going to scrap his creation. He's not done with us. Rather, he's going to renew it. Amen? So here in Isaiah 65, 17 through 25, God offers a radical revision of the human story where there's no more hurt, there's no more pain, there's no more loss, there's no sin. So in a world where the Hebrew people often lived in vulnerability, exile, and stability. God, it says he was going to make Jerusalem as a joy in its people, as a delight to the world. The old world of oppression, uncertainty, insecurity were going to become faint and distant memories. Amen? So imagine a world with no famine, no terrorism, and chemotherapy doesn't exist. It's not even in our vocabulary. This is the kind of world that God is bringing. In this new world, there will be no reason to keep stats for infant mortality rates or for life expectancy. It will be absolutely unheard of not to live a, live a long and fruitful and full existence. In this world, there will be the kind of security and stability that allows people, it says, to plant and reap, no longer forced to fight for limited resources. In verse 24, the prophet describes how God will answer the call of his people even before they can call out. And I think for the most part, we're actually incapable of fully understanding this. Completely. So the biblical authors describe this place in, in terms that we know, in ways that we can grasp um, on how amazing heaven will be. So Isaiah describes heaven the best way that he can in words that we can understand, right? Are we following along? So I want to break down this passage and I want to draw our attention to three ways that Isaiah describes his new creation. These are not my three points. So when I get to point three, don't be like, well, he's finishing up, ready to go to lunch. You know, don't. Because I got points after that. Stay seated. Total happiness. That sounds good, right? Total happiness. Can you even imagine? Total happiness. Look Look at verse 19. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the crying of distress. Can you imagine? 
I want to read from Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven uh, from God, prepared as a bride, adored for a husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself, God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Wow, no sadness, no crying, no pain, no more mourning the losses of loved ones, no more laying awake at night thinking of all the mistakes that you've made, No more will there be broken bones and unpaid rent. Amen? We'll be totally happy. Next, total security. They shall not build in another and have it. They shall not plant and another eat. So in this time, it was commonplace for nations to conquer nations. We know this is the story of the people of of Judah. They're constantly conquered. Someone bigger and stronger comes in, takes their houses takes their food, the things that they've worked really hard for. There's no security. So he's telling these people, they aren't just going to build houses and plant food for someone else to come and take. They will enjoy the work of their hands. This is the type of of future that God is creating for all of us. No more will you have to worry about walking across the street to get a bag of chips and a Coke, right? No more will you wake up in the morning and have to wonder if your car is going to be on concrete blocks and your radio is going to be stolen. No more are you going to have to live in fear at night of what's going to happen to you and your family. There will be no reason to have security alarms on your doors anymore. Life will be totally secure. Can you imagine? Lastly, total peace. Total peace. Let's read this again. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. As Pastor Jeremy told us a few weeks ago, we as human beings have always been at war. We live in a world of violence and war all the time. And there's people right now all over the world crying out to God to help them, and he seems so far away. And perhaps that's you this morning. You have no peace and you're crying out to God for help and he seems so far away. But look at what Isaiah tells us. In heaven, God will be so real and present in our life. We don't even need to call out to him because he will be right there. And before you can even get the words out, he'll be right there. And I love the imagery that he uses of a lion Excuse me, of a wolf and a lamb grazing together. The wolf, it doesn't say the wolf eats the lamb. The wolf actually dines with the lamb. And the lion doesn't stalk and attack its prey, but instead eats straw as if it was an ox. It said, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Now, I don't know if this is literal and wolves and lambs are going to be like hanging out together and having like tea parties like it says here. But basically, he's painting the imagery that things that are sworn enemies, things that would never be together, never hang out together, now live together in perfect peace. No more violence, no more hate, no more war. Wolves and lambs dining together. So now that we know a little bit about more what this new heaven and new earth will be like, it'll be totally happy, totally secure, totally peaceful. Hopefully you're wondering, so what do we do? Isaiah actually doesn't tell us what we need to do next. 
Um, He just tells us about this forever home that awaits us. But what do we do? The New Testament actually sheds some light on this, specifically Peter. So 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13 says this, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy lives and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So according to Peter, there are two things that we need to do. Number one, live holy. Number two, look forward. Number one, live holy. Peter basically said, since God is going to purify and renew this earth, be holy. Be people that exemplify what it means to be followers of Jesus. Isaiah talks so much about this in his own book because he knows that's something that we all have a hard time doing, is being holy. Be holy for the Lord your God is holy. That's a command nine times throughout scripture. God commanded his people to be holy many times. Commanded, not suggested. Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, this is God talking. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds uh, from my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. As God looked upon his world, he saw his people behaving poorly, doing evil deeds, not being holy. And I would venture to say as God looks upon his creation now, these would probably be the same words that he has for us right now. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us something really interesting. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. Instead, he's patient for your sake, not wanting anyone to perish but all to come to repentance. Have you ever wondered what's taking Jesus so long to come back? You are. I am. We are. He's waiting for us to repent of our sins and live holy lives. He's patient and he's gracious and he's kind. And that's why he tells us to be holy so he can come back. Live holy, be the people he's called us to be, serving the poor, caring for the vulnerable, being gracious, compassionate, forgiving. Too many of us are more worried about our happiness instead of our holiness. But if we're to be the kind of people that God has called us to be, holiness has to be at the forefront of our mind. We've got to be holy, bearing his image in this world. Jesus tells us, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Be a shining light for Jesus in your everyday life. Be holy. Number two, look forward. Peter tells us to live holy lives and to look forward to the coming of God and speed his coming. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.1, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This command that we have as Christians, uh, it tells us to set our hearts on heaven, to look forward, look forward, look forward to the renewal of all things. We're to live a heaven-centered life looking forward to heaven. And the phrase here, set your heart on, is a Greek word, zeteo. Zeteo means man's philosophical search or quest to seek in order to find, and my favorite, to crave, right? To crave. 
Y'all ever crave something? Yeah? I know, Wes, you always crave Taco Bell. But I crave Qdoba. And guess what? I'm not going to be satisfied. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to be satisfied until I get Qdoba, right? I will seek it out. I will find it. I'll drive 20 minutes if I have to, and I'll drive by a Taco Bell. I'll drive by a Chipotle because it's not what I want. I want Qdoba. They're not what I'm craving, so I'll drive right past. When I crave Qdoba, that's the only thing that's going to satisfy the craving, right? Do you crave heaven? That's the question here. Do you crave heaven? I'd venture to say no. Because we like our houses, we like our jobs, and we like our lives here. Some of us too much. These things aren't bad. I'm not saying these things are bad, but they aren't supposed to satisfy you. Too many of us quit our search for heaven because we got satisfied on what was just supposed to tide us over. They aren't supposed to satisfy your longing for home. Don't accept Chipotle or Taco Bell. Just wait for Qdoba, amen? And so this word, Zateo, is used... 80 times just in the Gospels. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek what was lost. It's used in the Gospels when describing a shepherd looking for a sheep. You know the story. It's a diligent, intentional search. The woman who lost a coin and she goes to find it. It's a diligent, intentional, deliberate search. So with that understanding, Paul's words now say, actively, intentionally, and diligently pursue heaven, pursue the things of above. The new heaven and new earth are coming. And Paul tells us, so we ought to live holy, godly lives and speeding the coming of the Lord. If you want to hasten This renewed heaven and new earth, we've got to act like it. If you want to hasten this this new earth, this new creation where people are loving, kind, and peaceful, you've got to be loving, kind, and peaceful. But the question now is who gets in? This place is perfect. Woo! Perfect. No sin, no corruption, no manipulation, no theft, no pain. And you and I, unfortunately, do not meet the standards to get into this eternity with God. It's perfect. And if we're not perfect, our sin would corrupt this place. So, is this forever home too good to be true? Is it even within reach of us? I want to read last verse, Revelation 21, 5 through 8. He who was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, write this down, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and they're true. He said to me, Jesus said, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The Lord is coming back to renew and restore and to redeem his creation, to resurrect his creation. Where do you stand this morning with the Alpha and the Omega? 
Those who do not repent of their sins will not be allowed to enter into eternity with God. So they won't be allowed into heaven, but instead will be cast away into a lake of fire. But, come on somebody, John said here, it says, to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. I love that. Because of Jesus, we are made righteous. Because of Christ, the thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning, church? Those who seek him, those who set their hearts on things above, it says will be given water, water of life without cost. And do you know how that's so? Because the cost has already been paid. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a shout. Jesus paid the price. He bore the sins of humanity, of my sins, of your sins. He interceded for us. He stood in our place and he put us in his. And he suffered the curse we deserved to give us the blessing that he deserved. This eternal life, this eternal inheritance in heaven. And we can have our forever home because Christ's righteousness was granted to us. Not because we were good, not because of our works, but because he was good. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can have eternal life. Amen. And yes, this life is broken and sinful and full of tragedy and loss, but we know this is not our forever home. We know that this isn't all there is. We have a forever home that's waiting for us in heaven. And so we're going to sing a, a new song this morning. And typically we kind of do the lamenty songs at the end where I want you to cry and repent. But this is exciting news, right? This is exciting. This is the eternal destination that we have as followers of Jesus, that this life isn't it. And it gets better in heaven where we're going to be in the presence of God. We're going to be with Jesus. Chains are going to fall off. Amen. We're going to be free. We're going to see Jesus in all of his glory. And we know, church, that it gets better in heaven. So let's stand up and let's worship and let's look forward to this eternity that we have with God. Amen. I see a great revival.